kids, you guys can head on back to the back. It's going to be in the book of Acts this morning. It's going to be in Acts 1 and Acts 4, but honestly, uh, when I was in second grade, I would tell people... Um, I would tell people that I wanted to be an artist whenever I grew up. Uh, at least I probably, I know I told some people that. I don't know how many people I told that, but I told some people that. Um, I thought I was really good at it. I thought I, I thought I had some, some talent. I thought my stuff looked better than the rest of the people in, uh, uh, in my class. I thought I could, I could draw a little bit better. And some of you guys may be thinking, well, wait a minute, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know that, that, that he could draw. I didn't know that he could. I've never seen any of the work that he's done. I didn't know he was a creative person and he had this kind of talent. It's because I don't. I have zero talent whenever it comes to drawing. But in second grade, I was convinced that I did have some talent. I thought I was really, really good at it. Um, but in all honesty, I'm awful. Like, like next level, uh, terrible. And, and I wonder, do you guys have anything in your life that you think I should probably be much better at this than I am. Like, just in general, you have that thought like, I should be better at this, and I don't, I'm just not. I mean, I know we all have those things where we feel inadequate in life. Like, every parent feels like they're a bad parent, unless you don't feel that way, in which case you probably are. But every parent feels like they are a bad parent on some level, but I'll be honest. I kind of give myself some grace on this one. After all, why should I be a good parent? I had no prior experience, so I didn't know whatever, what I was doing. I was handed this kid and said, all right, go for it. Uh, there was no instruction manual. It was the equivalent of hopping in a space shuttle and saying, go that way. And I'm supposed to make it like to, to, the, to the moon or something. I'm supposed to actually get off the, like I'm supposed to figure out how to fly that complicated thing. Being a parent is the same, same thing. It's like, here's a kid, go for it. Figure it out. Well, I give myself grace on that one. There's no reason that I should be a, a good parent. But whenever it comes to, uh, to, to other things, it, it feels like I should be better. Drawing would be one of those. But I don't, know, uh, I don't know why I particularly think that, because I'm not creative. I'm a logical, linear thinker. That's the way that my mind uh, works. There's no good reason that I should, be, uh, I should be good at it. But when I draw something... Like, I, I have the image in my head of what I'm trying to draw. And my wife, she can attest to this. Um, nobody wants to be, like, we play Pictionary in our house. The kids fight over who gets to be on Emily's team. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to be on Dad's team. We play, like, a trivia game. They'll be like, okay, well, I'll take Dad. But when it's Pictionary, mm -mm, they want to be on Mom's team. Because they know whatever I draw, they're just going to look at it and be like, I got nothing. I have no idea what that is. I don't know what you've drawn. Like, there's something in my head, like... I, I can see it, and then when I start drawing it, whatever comes out on the paper is not the signal I sent from my head to my hands. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like it's just totally different. Uh, I feel like I should be better at that, but I'm just, uh, I, I'm just not. I, it could probably fit some other things in that category. Singing would probably go in that category. I feel like I should be better. I really like music. I like to listen to music. I like to sing loudly, but I'm really really bad at it. I'm just, I'm not good. Um, but I feel like I should be better. And I think for Christians, there is one topic, there is one subject 
that we that we all generally feel the same way. Like, we should be better at this, but we're just not, and that's prayer. I've never met a Christian who thought, I'm really good at prayer. Like, I'm really, really good at this. That's, that's, I, I mean, I've met some who would say, that's kind of my thing, that's what I do, but even they would be like, I'm not really good at it. It's just, it's just, some, like, it's just something I, I, I like to do, I enjoy doing it, but I'm not particularly good at it. But most Christians that I talk to would tell you when it comes to prayer, it's like, oh yeah, that's a, prayer's a really cool thing and I'm, I'm not very good at it though. I probably should be better at this. Uh, I, I used to have a, a seminary pr- professor that would say, if, you're, if, you're, if you have a congregation that, that you think is getting a little full of themselves, just do a series on prayer and that will pull everybody back down. Everyone will feel guilty, and that will kind of level the playing field just a little bit. Um, Why is it that way? Why is it that perhaps the most amazing, mind-blowing, fundamental part of being a Christian, that we can come to God at any time and ask Him anything, and not only that, we're encouraged to like pester Him with things. Why is it that that is this thing that we can all kind of look around at each other and say, why am I not better at this? Why is this not more important to me? I know I should be, but I'm just not. Well, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. We're we're in our series, Rooted, where we're talking about the things we do on Sunday mornings, the things that you see, the things that make up the kind of rhythms of what we do here at Providence Church, kind of the canopy of the tree, what you can see. And what we're talking about is the roots underneath it, the things that kind of feed what you see, the things that you don't always uh, see that are behind these things. So this morning we're going to talk about the topic of prayer. Specifically, we're going to talk about corporate prayer, so like prayer together, prayer with one another that we do together. I could talk for weeks or for months about different aspects of prayer. We could keep going on and on and on and talk about different uh, aspects of prayer. We're not going to be able to even scratch the surface. I'm not going to talk about a theology of prayer. I'm not going to get into all the logistics of how prayer works and uh, does God change his mind and all these other things. Not getting into any of that thing. So much like the conversation last week where there's huge chunks of conversation that are just going to kind of get left on the floor. That's the same thing as we talk about praying together. We're just going to talk about our prayer when we are with one another. What are we doing when we stop? And we pray together, whether it's on Sunday mornings, whether it's in our discipleship groups, uh, whether it's the first Wednesday of the month when we have gathered prayer. What is it that we are doing? So Acts chapter 1, I think, is going to set the stage for us and kind of be uh, a launching point for the rest of the book of Acts. And obviously, I can't read the book of Acts. Honestly, if I wanted to give a great sermon on the book of Acts, or I'm sorry, a great sermon on, on prayer, I could just read the book of Acts. Because it's all over the book. They do almost, like, almost everything they do, there's a note about how they did it with prayer. I could just read this book and be like, amen, let's be like that and we'll be done. I'll just tell you that's how I'm going to end. But I'm not going to just read it, okay? I, I want to look at a couple of aspects of how things kind of start here in the beginning of Acts chapter 1. So Acts chapter 1 verse 12. This is right after the ascension, after Jesus has been 
gone, gone back into heaven. He said, all right, you guys go. You've got a mission to go on. Go do it. Go, go back to Jerusalem right now. Wait on the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, but you all just go, go back there and hang out for a few minutes. And this is Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and the, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Did you see the note about prayer in that little thing? Like, it just goes right by. It zooms right by. If I were preaching this text, I, would ne- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even focus in on that. But it's an important little note for us to see this morning. It's a very basic text, but it shows us some very important things. You see, Jesus' followers, can you, I, I want you to put yourself in their position right here, right? They are newly energized by a mission that Jesus has given them. Newly energized by spending time with the risen Jesus. I mean, y'all think you get fired up when we play the right song before I come up here? Man, they were spending time with the risen Jesus. Fired up. They had seen him die. They had gathered together in, in what was completely hopeless circumstances, completely despondent. Then Jesus was raised and everything changes. They follow him. They listen to him teach. They receive the Great Commission. They witness Jesus ascend into heaven. Jesus tells them, go back to Jerusalem and wait on the baptism of the Spirit. Can you just imagine what it would be like to be these guys? They've got to go out and take this message to the world. But man, they have everything they need to be charged up for this task. They have everything that they need. The last thing that they need is to get together to pray and to ask for something more. Why would they get together and pray at this point? They should be like, like, like chomping at the bit, like a dog on the leash ready to just go after something because they have so much energy. Yet what they do is they get together, and the one thing that they do when they get together is they pray. All of them together. All the disciples, men and women, they're all together, and they're pouring out their energy in prayer. And I highlight this for a few different reasons. Primarily the reason that I bring this up is because it shows how differently prayer actually works versus how prayer typically works for us in our event, in our individualistic American Western context, how prayer works versus how prayer works for uh, those in the Bible. It did certain things for them. It worked in certain ways. So one of the things that I want to show you is that they did it together and the prayer unified them. They didn't go back to Jerusalem and go to their homes. They didn't go back to Jerusalem, go back to their jobs as they waited. They came together and they prayed together. And it says that their prayers were in one accord. Now, that may sound like, well, of course it was. The disciples, they're all like brothers, man. They're all good to go. 
But if you read through the last half of the Gospels, the last half of what we have here, what you see is that there was a lot of arguing among the disciples. Even before Jesus dies, there's a lot of arguing among the disciples. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who gets to sit at Jesus' right hand? Who gets to do this? Who's jealous about this? They're kind of getting at each other a little bit. Jesus is oftentimes rebuking them like, you guys don't get it at all. You have no idea what you're doing here. Do you even have a clue who I am? And the answer is, well, no, not really, kind of, sort of, but maybe not. That's kind of what we saw the last little bit. And then, whenever Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested, the disciples scatter. Peter, uh, Peter bails, denies Jesus three different times. Whenever Jesus is on the cross, none of his disciples are there with him. The, none of the, at least none of the apostles are there with him. The women are there. But the rest of them are scattered. Jesus is buried. He's taken. He's buried. They're in the upper room together. They're completely despondent. Thomas is arguing about how, you know, they, oh yeah, right, sure, Jesus is risen. Like, there's no consensus of anything between the disciples up until they actually all see Jesus and are under him and with him. So to come back to this place after the ascension and to see that they are all of one accord, it shows you the power of the resurrection. And then it shows you that it's the act of prayer that brings them together to this place. So one of the ways that these things, that that gathered prayer, that corporate prayer works is that it unites us. It unites us. When we gather to pray, miraculous things happen. Now when I say that, I'm not, I'm not even talking about like the miraculous things that God can do through our prayers out there. When, what I'm talking about is when we come together, we come before the thrones, petition God, we have the, the assurance of Jesus' intercession that we have an audience But the overwhelming testimony of Acts and of the rest of the New Testament is that God desires that we come to him, not just as individuals. In fact, I think you can make a pretty good case that the vast majority of times that prayer is mentioned in the New Testament, even in the Gospels, it is corporate prayer, gathered prayer together. Whenever the disciples said, teach us to pray, Jesus says, pray like this. He doesn't say, my Father who is in heaven. He says, our Father who is in heaven. Give us this day, our daily bread. The instruction is for gathered together prayer for us to do these things together. And so what you see is that when we all come together, what happens is we begin, because of the necessity of how it works, we have to lay down our agenda as we come to the throne. And as we lay down our agenda, what happens is our voice becomes unified before God. That is a miracle. I could go through in here and talk to you guys basic opinions about all kinds of hot topics, and there would be a different take for every person I talk to. Yet whenever we bow our heads together in prayer, what happens is all of that gets leveled because you can't go to God and pray in the right way as long as you're coming and saying, God, here's my agenda, make my agenda happen. 
Instead, you're going to God and you're saying, God, I lay down my agenda. What do we have to do to make your agenda happen? And when that happens, unity is a possibility. And that is a miracle. As we pray, all of our prayers are heard equally. When we pray together, we pray as one. Yes, as individuals, but also as one. All our voices are in unison in ways that, that can't be matched in anything else that we do as a church. Even when we sing. I mean, we know who can sing and who can't in here. I know that, like, if I stand behind somebody, it's like, oh man, he's standing behind me. I'm going to have to hear him sing now. Like, you, like, some of you choose your seats because you know you don't have to sit around somebody else and hear them sing. I understand that. Uh, we know who can sing. We know who's loud. We know who's quiet. We know who doesn't sing. Even though we're singing the same melody in the same tune, some of us get a little bit off key. And we should be better at it, but we're not. But we get a little bit off key. It's not exactly the same. But when we pray, when we pray, we are in perfect unison. And this is nothing short of a miracle. That's part of what we are trying to do here at Providence whenever we make corporate prayer an important part of what we do. We collectively shape our collective will around what God has called us to do. So it brings unity. Another thing to notice about what happens here whenever we're, whenever we're in this place is, and, and whenever the, the disciples are in this place praying together, it doesn't seem as if the risen Jesus had dist- has detracted from the desire to pray at all. In, in fact, if anything, it has energized their prayers as they've gotten back together in Jerusalem. You say, well, of course it didn't distract them. Why would seeing the risen Jesus distract these disciples from praying? They would have been out of their minds excited. Of course there's no distraction there. But here's the thing. When you think uh, you've got all you need, the first thing that goes is prayer. When you think you've got it under control, when you think you've got the resources, when you think you've got the right tool in the bag, there's no need to ask for help, right? This is how prayer works for most of us, individually and corporately as a church. We, we, we hit the alarm and we say, oh, we really need to pray about this thing, whatever this thing is. And usually that thing is whenever we finally feel like, I don't know, man, this is out of my, this is out of my control. So let's get together and pray. But that's not how these disciples responded at all. What they said is, we've got everything we need. We need to get together and pray. It's the exact opposite instinct that so many of us have. Most of us spend our time in prayer asking for something because we can't seem to manage to get control of the situation. But that's not the way that prayer works in the New Testament. Certainly, that is appropriate to pray for those things. I'm not saying that you should not pray for those things. You absolutely should. But what I'm saying is that even whenever you feel like you've got it under control, perhaps then is the most important time to be praying. These disciples had all they needed. They had just watched the risen Jesus ascend into heaven. 
And yet they came together and fervently prayed together. If you're wondering, all right, let me, let me, let me, let's try this. If you're wondering, well, I don't think I approach prayer that way. Let me ask you this question. Just do a little mental exercise. Think to yourself, what do you think the disciples prayed for here in verse 13 and 14? What do you think they were praying for? It can be hard to even conceive of what the prayer was about if they had everything that they needed. What did they even ask for? You see, that's the way that our mind works. It's like, what would they ask for? Because they've got everything that they need, but that's not, that's not the primary motivation of prayer. It's not the beating heart of a great prayer life. Do you want to know why prayer is such a, a challenge for us as individuals and even for us as a church? It's because we wait until we, it's because we wait until we feel like we need it before we employ it. We wait until we feel like we, we got to have something extra to get through it before we actually use it. Prayer is designed to humble us from the very beginning. This is the second thing prayer does. One, it unifies us. The second thing it does, prayer humbles us. It highlights and it it forces us to confess our inability to do anything apart from the, the empowering and the leading of the Holy Spirit. It forces us to come and to say, God, we need you. Even when we, we feel like we don't need him, it forces us to the confession to say, we don't have this under control nearly as much as we think we do. You want to know a secret? We could get more people here on a Sunday morning. We could get more people here. Like, I, like it, There's a pretty clear formula that exists in the Christian world to get more people here. You give us enough money and enough resources, we can go out and we can hire a professional band of musicians. We can bring in, uh, you know, Hillsong or Elevation or whoever these, you know, different people. We can bring them in and we can put them up here on our stage and this place will be full. Just put a billboard out there says that, that this band is here and this place will be full. We could use our resources to pay a much more charismatic, much funnier preacher that's more engaging and this place would fill up a lot faster. We could use our resources in such a way that we could get a lot of people here. We can sing certain songs we can get a, a, a better preacher. We can draw a crowd. We can do the songs that like just at the right moment, the drums kick in, the key changes, and everybody starts to sway. And, and, and it could fool almost all of us in here into thinking that God is doing something because it happened at church. There is a model of church that looks very successful in American Christianity and it has nothing to do with God. It doesn't need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't need the, 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 the sacrificial uh, saving grace of Jesus Christ. It just needs your emotions engaged in the right way. And people will, people will flock to be a part of it. 
Listen, I don't care if it happens at church or not. If the church has not emptied itself of its pride and its self-reliance, then it doesn't matter how good the band is or how gifted the preacher is or how big the crowd is. It's not going to glorify God. It's only going to glorify man. And I do not, hear me, I do not stand up here. This is not like a, like a uh, you know, passive-aggressive throwing shade at some other church in town or anything like that. It is not a passive-aggressive, look at how humble we are. That is absolutely not what I am trying to say. What I am trying to tell you is every single time that we gather together here on Sunday morning, we are in danger of trying to do something apart from the Holy Spirit because it sounds good, it feels good, and it makes us walk out of here feeling great about ourselves. Every time. The, 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 the strategy is out there. And it's an easy one to employ if you just have the right people in the right place at the right time. So part of what we are doing when we take the time to pray together on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, when we gather together in our discipleship groups, whenever we're together in our front porch communities, part of what we are trying to do, what we are trying to confess, is that we are wholly inadequate to do anything as a church that glorifies God if the Spirit does not move and the Spirit is not here. We are repenting of the attitude that says, I can take it this far, Holy Spirit, you got the rest. And instead we are confessing and saying, I need the Spirit to work now in this place from the very beginning. Prayer is intended to to reset the mindset for us that says we've got this. And instead force us to confess we don't have anything. And what we do here on a Sunday morning is an absolute wretched stench before God. If we just show up and say, we got it, we're good. We need the Spirit to do the work. Prayer should humble us. Turn over to Acts chapter 4, just a couple, uh, couple pages over, a couple chapters over. Acts chapter 4, skipping over several prayers just as we, we turn just a couple of pages. I want to read from Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Pretty good little chunk here, I want to read this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported, this is when they were released out of jail. When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So this is the prayer. This is the record of the prayer that they offer as they're released out of prison. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed... 
the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled by the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So these men came home from prison. And as they came home, as they released, it would have been easy to come together and for them to begin to gripe about their persecution. For them to talk about how the government has pressed down on them and how the, the, the government, how these people deserve to be, uh, to, to, to be thrown out of office and how these people have done all these terrible things. It would have been appropriate for them to be able to do that, to come together and lament their situation. It would have been appropriate for them to come together and say, look at how hard we have it. This is terrible. Look at the scars from where they whipped me. What a, what a, it would have been appropriate for them to come together and do those things. It would have been easy for them to come back together and to bell out and say, this is not what I signed up for whenever I followed Jesus. It would have been easy for them to back off their task at hand. But instead they come together to pray. And when they pray, all of those things are removed and their hearts are centered back around the mission of proclaiming the news of Jesus. Think about the platform Peter could have had here. He could have used this moment to really inflame and rally the troops. He, he could have hopped up on a, uh, on, on a stage and he could have said, look at what happened to me. We can't allow this to happen. The revolution begins today. And he could have mounted all these people that were coming together in the name of Christ. And he could have, he could have tried to start something else. He could have used it to build an army, but instead he bows his head and he gives all of that to God. And he simply asks to be empowered by the Spirit to move forward with the work that Jesus had called them to. For Peter and John, this time of prayer was simply a cry for help based on the promises of God. And what it became for them, and what it became for the church, it was a moment of energy, a moment of assurance, and a moment of power. The ground shook with their prayers. They were empowered by the Spirit. And in that moment, they were sustained in the midst of a world that is set against them and verging on chaos all around them. Does that sound familiar to you? A world set against and verging on chaos. I'll, I'll be honest with you, this week has not been a great one for me, just generally. Just dealing with stuff that I just don't want to deal with. Or I told you, just having to deal with COVID stuff and revisit conversations we thought were over and all this kind of stuff. It's not been fun. I've watched the news as these things have happened in Afghanistan. It's been heavy. I've dealt with my own sin, my own personal shortcomings. There's been a heaviness to these last few days for me. It really was a blessing to, to, to stand here this morning and to not see the heaviness walk in, but instead to see your smiles walk in and to see people loving and caring for one another and being the church with one another. It has done wonders for my soul. Because I have felt a cloud just kind of hanging over the days to come in front of us. I hate it. I've talked to a lot of you that have felt it this week too. 
One of the things I love here at Providence is that we are built for community. We are really good at that. We are. Our leaders are good at it. Our front porch communities are good at it. We're good at it here on Sunday mornings. We've been good at it for a while. We're really good at it. But even as I say that, I confess that too often, we're probably missing the thing that is given to us to sustain us the most. Prayer. I began asking this sermon, what is something that you're not very good at, but you probably should be? Listen, friends, as your pastor, I want to be honest here. I think that, that providence, we should probably be a lot better at prayer than we are. We should just probably be better at it. I thought a lot. I've had conversations with many of you over the years trying to figure out why are we not very good at it? And sometimes we, ha- we come up with some answers and sometimes we don't. But we're just not. I mean, can we just be honest? We're just not really good at it. We've got all the pieces in place for it. We have great fellowship. We have great community. We have a deep commitment to the sovereignty of God in all things. We have a love and a deep dependence upon the Spirit. We have the recipe. We have the things that we need. But for whatever reason, those things don't seem to come together in a way that they should. And again, if I'm just being honest, I'm still trying to figure out why. I would love to stand up here as your pastor and say, here's the six points that we need to institute. And if we'll just, if we'll just apply these six points, we will become a people and a group that prays more. And we will become a people where prayer is everything to us. I wish I had that right kind of combination to do that. And, and I'm sure there are pastors that are able to do that and are able to lay out that 4.5.6 point plan and it's all ready to go and all is well. That's just not me. It's not the way that I'm, I'm wired. And, and for whatever reason, it's not something that God has given me. To be honest with you, I stand up here and I tell you, I don't know why we're not very good at it, but we're not. No doubt, it starts with me and it starts with us as elders. I think every one of our elders would tell you that. I know I would affirm that. It starts with me. We set the pace, and I have not led or taught or spoken about this nearly as much as I should. I have not modeled it the way that I would like. It's something that in preparing this series, it has, sh- it, it, it has really shown me my own inadequacy in leading in this area. So I publicly confess that to you this morning. A big reason that we probably don't look like we should with prayer is because of where it starts and a lack of leadership in that area. I'm not sure what that means from here. I can't tell you, here's the, the, the steps I'm going to take to make that better. I'm still working on that spirit, still working on me in that one. But I know I need to be better. But I will also turn it to you, and I'll just be frank with you. We need more of you to be praying people. We need you to pray more. The elders need more prayer. The student ministry needs more prayer. The children's ministry needs more prayer. Our discipleship groups need more prayer. One another, we need to be praying for one another more often. The words, hey, can I pray for you, should be heard a lot more often in in these walls. We should just be better at it. 
And again, I'm preaching this to myself way before I'm preaching this to any of you guys. If we are going to be sustained in, in this fall and this winter coming up, if we are going to be sustained and there's going to be anything past 10 years of providence, I am absolutely convinced we have to be better at praying. And we have to be better at praying together. We can't do it by kind of hanging out with each other and kind of pretending we're okay, because we're not. We need the unity that prayer brings. We need the, the, the ability to be sustained that prayer can bring. We need to be humbled and to say we don't have all the answers. And even the ones we think we have, we probably messed up. We need to be able to say that together. We need to be better. We need God's help, and he tells us he's there if we'll just ask. I'm not coming at you for some sort of like legalistic bent where God won't love us or he's somehow disappointed in us if we don't spend three hours in prayer every morning and we don't uh, start some you know, prayer meeting that has 500 people here for it. Or I, I'm not interested in playing any of those games here. I think you guys know that. I'm not here to build onto your checklist. I'm inviting us to be more faithful servants to Jesus and to do that together through prayer. That's what I'm doing. And in doing so, I can almost promise you that this church will be more unified, less self-reliant, and better prepared for the days ahead. It's an invitation to an abiding joy and power that cannot be duplicated by any other Thing we do up on this stage or out there, any other program we institute, anything else that we do. So that's kind of my application this morning. Providence, we can be better. We can be better. I want to quote from a book that I read a while ago and, and haven't really picked up in a while. Uh, again, kind of indicative of my lack of leadership in this area, but I, 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 like, I just like the feel of this quote and kind of what it communicates. I'm going to read this and just give a couple of closing thoughts. It says, for the early church, this is a book called Praying Together by Megan Hill. It says, for the early church, there was much to do, but essential to their gospel proclaiming, bread breaking, widow feeding, and church planting work was praying together. These early Christians, diverse, united, and devoted, prayed together when they arrived and when they departed. They prayed together when they were sick and in prison, but also when they were simply sitting down for a meal. They prayed in the formal worship services of the temple and at the riverside prayer meetings. The apostles prayed together. Men and women and children prayed together. They prayed for the Spirit, for protection, for boldness and proclamation of the gospel. They prayed for one another. Wherever the gospel went, wherever churches were established, God's people were praying people. Brothers and sisters, can we think that Christians today ought to be any different? Prayer was the language of the early church. As one person put it, to be a, a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. This is clearly the case in the book of Acts. From the beginning in chapter 1 where we started all the way through, the church is bathed in prayer. It is their breath. Perhaps as much as anything, the reason the church as a whole 
doesn't look like the church in Acts is not because something has changed in how God works, but simply because we haven't prayed and said, God, empower us to be that way. As the quote asks, can we think today ought to be any different? So friends, as I close today, my resolution is to make prayer a more substantive part of what I do and what we do here at Providence. I don't know what that will look like. I have no idea. But I am resolved to make it more of what we do. And I just want to invite you to join me in that. Personally, in your own lives, together when you're with people, just be more inclined. When you feel that kind of prompting of instead of just let's have a conversation, just say, hey, can I just pray for you real quick? Gosh, I would love it. I would love it if it just became known that this was a place that at some point I'm going to get prayed for today. At some point when I come here on a Sunday morning, somebody's going to pray for me because that's what we do at Providence. We pray. I would love for us to be that kind of a church. Let's apply this truth together as we move forward. If we're going to be successful as a church, definition of successful is glorify God. If we're going to glorify God as a church, it's going to be because prayer is like breathing. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, it is my confession, it is our corporate confession as a church that we simply do not take advantage of the resources you have given us to do exactly this, to come before you and to say, help us. To come before you and to confess our, uh, our arrogance, to confess our uh, own tendency towards, uh, towards self-reliance, to come before you and to confess your sovereignty your graciousness, your power. Father, may we be a people that pray more. Convict us of that this morning. Do not let that conviction leave us this morning. Father, make us a people who pray. Not because of some list or because we're supposed to, but because we trust you and we wholly depend on you and that in that trust and in that dependence, you are glorified. It's in Christ's name we pray.